for those who don't know, we can edit this nicely for the lot for the for the recorded version. Um, Amin was a former Suns front office staffer um, for several years in the last decade. Um, I guess no, a decade prior to because now we're in the twenties, but uh, he's had some intimate knowledge, let's say, about the inner workings of that franchise, particularly the powers that be up top. I've talked to several people from various aspects of the industry in the past couple of days. And um, I I definitely wanted to discuss this being that I think I was not planning to. I reached out to Amin very quickly yesterday, got another show planned out uh, for Friday, tomorrow. Um, Austin Reeves, Lakers guard, will be joining us. I'm very excited to, to have him. First player, I believe, we'll be having on the show. And uh, it'll be a cool opportunity to have some fans interact with him. Um, but I think this is an important story, and it's one that I'm not expecting to go away, being that we've already seen LeBron and Chris Paul make their Twitter statements, and the union has come out with a statement. And I'm kind of expecting those spam phone calls. Um, I'm kind of expecting the story to become this year's version of whether or not, or just vaccination status at last year's media day. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this is an opportunity where players are going to take it to try to voice their opinions. And I don't think anything will change from the further developments of all this but we'll see and to help talk about that i felt like amin was a a pretty great person to to chat about it with so thank you again for hopping on here man i appreciate it no worries thanks for having me i'm very proud to say i'm here on time as opposed (laughs) to the last time i i did this with you uh the the irony is i was late last time because i got lost doing expense reports and I actually have expense reports to do today, but I am <laughs> here on time. I did not let myself get swayed by the siren song of expense reports being filed. I appreciate that, man. And yeah, you said you said you owed me one. You said you you owed me one, and uh, figured a last minute, less than twenty four hour uh, ask would would fall into that category. So I appreciate you being a man of your word. No problem. What so? To start things off, I mean, when when the report gets published and, and the league levies their fate, I mean, I listened to the Basketball Illuminati podcast, which is one of my favorite shows that you do with Tom Haverstrow and Anthony Mays. Um, so I have a sense here of what your response is going to be. But just for our listeners who haven't gotten a chance to hear your or, or read your first thoughts on it i mean you you were not surprised that this was the level of of slap on the wrist if you will that that was uh that was you know dropped down here right yes sadly i was not surprised this is exactly what i expected to happen i knew they were going to find him the maximum amount which was 10 million dollars i knew that he would probably get suspended for a year and that's about it you know if you look through the history of the league, we haven't had an owner who's been suspended, I don't believe, longer than a year. Um, it's basically, this is the standard harsh punishment. The only thing harsher is what happened to Donald Sterling. 
in which he was forced to sell. But as we know, Donald Sterling had the audio tape. We had his voice on record, on wax, as they say, saying these incredibly racist things. And by the way, saying these incredibly racist things about one of the icons of the game in Magic Johnson. And, you know, meanwhile, with Sarver, what we were going to get was a lot of accounts from people, many of them corroborated. Uh, We were going to get a little bit of paper trail. Uh, But again, no smoking gun of video or audio. And for whatever reason, I'm I'm not saying that it's right or it's appropriate, but for whatever reason, we as a society tend to react much more strongly towards audio and video than we do the written word. And I think that's what happened here. And, and uh, the verdict is pretty much, like I said, what I expected. Yeah, I think ultimately the smoking gun thing is an interesting concept being that there's plenty of smoke, right? Like there are a multitude of corroborated accounts and a similar theme to all the accounts, right? Some bullying type stuff. I mean, in addition to the rampant sexist and and racist commentary and acts and what have you. So, like, all that's there. It was corroborated and confirmed through the report and whatnot. And it's still just kind of like, I mean, Vincent Goodwill wrote a really good thing at Yahoo Sports the other day about how, how, how could you find that there was sexism and racism committed with no sexist or racist committing them, which <laughs> that is a, a broader conversation about semantics and other aspects of this topic. But yeah, I mean, they basically, they basically said they found no like wrongdoing, even though they, I don't know, remember the, the exact terminology from the, the, the statement, but it, it was very curious to me how that all unfolded. It really was. Uh, Jake, what did you think of the commissioner's press conference, which seems to have gotten a lot of attention as well for kind of him implying, or not implying, he said it, that owners are held to a different standard than players and employees? So it's a great question. Definitely where I was headed with this at some point. Uh, so might as well get there now. Um, the my My first thought, and I'll save the conspiracy thought, because I want to run that by you. Um, But the first thought is that, I mean, from the beginning of this situation, from when Baxter Holmes at ESPN.com wrote the story through when the NBA launched the investigation throughout the last couple of months, when you have conversations with people randomly here and there, and the, the subject comes up and there's rumor and hearsay about what the punishment could be, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. Nobody believed he was ever going to be put in a position to have to sell, um, being that no owner would ever really want to approve that creation being possible in the potential scenario where their own dirty laundry gets aired out down the line in the future. And ultimately, there's a precedent sent for their own after one day because now this has been been commented on left and right, but I, w- I was even looking more at the details today about the process of eliminating uh, a team governor from their post. 
I mean, at, at, at the bare minimum, like there needs to be uh, some owner. For, I mean, I, I could be wrong after my reading on it, but the way I looked at it, there needs to be some owner to even bring up the situation, let alone get to a three-fourths vote in order to ultimately force that person out. And that to me was my was was the the clear thing underscoring Adam Silver's comments. I mean, at the end of the day, the commissioner works for the owners, and I mean that that was very abundantly clear uh, on that point. Of I mean, the the press conference to me that was inter, interwoven with every word that he was speaking. Yeah, you know, the weird thing for me was it wasn't so much the decision, right? Because again, as I mentioned. I've, pretty much expected this because of the circumstances that you and I have just both laid out. I was surprised that Adam was flustered. I've never seen him miss That was surprising, yep. And, and, and he's always very kind of calm, cool, and collected. Particularly, this, I mean, it's not his first crisis. He's had several crises. If, if you think about Sterling, if you think about uh, Daryl Morey and the China thing, think about COVID, if you think about uh, you know, there's been uh, the uh, George Floyd protest. He's always handled it with a level of calm. I'm not saying he always does the right thing, but he never looks flustered. And I thought yesterday was the first time I've ever seen the commissioner flustered. And it wasn't like this was a surprise that he had to react within 24 hours. They knew this was coming. They knew what, what, the, what was ahead of them. So to see him that flustered and, and to have Mike Bass have to come out and clarify in a statement what the commissioner meant, I, 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 that to me was way more shocking than what the punishment was or what the process was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know from talking to people, understanding how the league works. He had talking points. He was prepared. And they put this out, I believe, on Tuesday. And on the press conference, it was Wednesday. That probably wasn't accidental either, right? I think they might have even even thought they were setting setting themselves up to be playing in like a home court scenario where they put it out on their time. And there was only really a day for the media to prepare their questions when they were ready to go, you know? So, right. Yeah, his flusteredness was definitely surprising. And I, and I want to clarify, I'm looking at it now, I'm back on my computer. Um, it says any member of the association or the commissioner, which um, I'm assuming means governor or the commissioner can propose the, the, the movement to terminate um, an owner. So Silver would have the authority to do that. Um, but like I said before, I mean, this is a this is a business. It, it never. I mean, obviously, this is the stakes of what happens in the NBA from a team level, from a league level, is ultimately about billions and billions of dollars. But that was super crystallized for me, even beyond my original understanding during the pandemic <laughs> and how. I mean, I thought I think it was lost amongst a lot of people that. And I, I, I want to give credit where credit's due. I think a lot of the league's efforts to push for testing and the sp- tube stuff that they were trying to do to get quicker testing for events and whatnot, like that was great. And, and there was a lot of resources and time and effort invested into moving the society and culture forward during the pandemic. But it was also laced with trying to get their business back on the ground, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's always the bottom line here. So, yeah. 
when your public face or public shield, if you will, in Adam Silver was so rambling a, a bit at times and, and Foster, like you said, it, it was a moment. And I, I, that leads me to the conspiracy theory, but I will give you, I will give you the floor first. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, you said the commissioner can initiate the termination proceedings or any other, the owners can. But, you know, obviously, just because you can doesn't mean you will. And it's not because maybe or maybe not the crime rises to that level or the offense rises to that level. But more in the lines of this is the Game of Thrones that we're watching here, right? Oh, and, yeah. And in the, in the sense like, okay, if you're the commissioner and you initiate this, one way to look at it is like, well, then Robert Sarver knows you don't want his ass in there. But then all the others know, owners know too. Who okay? So Adam is prepared to do this to someone who has done this thing that we may or may not be guilty of. Oh, and by the way, we may or may not even believe that there is any guilt affiliated with this. Right? The league and the league partners, the franchisees. We're assuming that they're all aghast and like, oh, how could you and how could anything? And you've, you've, you know, you've sullied our name. But the reality is, anyway, much like Donald Sterling, people knew that Robert Sarver was a loose cannon. They knew it. There's no way you're, you're going to meetings. Hell, he almost derailed the 2011 uh, CBA negotiations. By talking about bringing back his the, the mid-level exception as a purse for his wife. Uh, like, he's not an extremely popular guy within the ownership community, right? And he's known, like, he his transgressions are known in that way. In the same way that we all knew Donald Sterling was a piece of shit, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but even so, right? Like, even as they might look down on him or say, oh, that guy. There still is a divide between, if, even as they put a divide between themselves and him, there still is another divide between him and everybody else. At the end of the day, he's one of the 30. So if you have a commissioner who is initiating a termination like this, uh, you know, it, there's a level of like, okay, you're ready to do this without really our urging because of what? It, it, because of something that we may or may not be guilty of as well. We cannot like him what we want, but there was that one time I told that one gal in marketing about her dress. So that one time where I made that one joke uh, about, you know, something to that guy in community relations. They, they all know that they've got kind of transgressions or missteps in their past, and they're all worried about what the ramifications of a deep dive into everybody's closet looks like. Yeah. I mean, look, Mark Cuban was one of the few people to go on record back during the Donald Sterling saga and say, whoa, 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 what kind of precedent could this set for us? Mm -hmm. And you spin it forward a couple of years. I remember exactly where I was at my desk on a night shift at Sports Illustrated when a file came across my email inbox from – um, I forget who I, I apologize. I forget who broke the news about all the Dallas Mavericks workplace misconduct, right? Like mm -hmm. it, that, that to me is kind of the perfect example of what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and 
you know, Mark Cuban was fined as well, I believe, the, the, the $10 million fine. Uh, but he did not suffer any kind of suspension because Mark Cuban's defense was, I didn't know any of that was happening. Which, when you think about it for a second, considering what the allegations of what was happening in those offices and Cuban's defense sounds patently ridiculous. Patently ridiculous. How could you not have known? How could you not have known? And beyond that, is that not your responsibility as the leader of an organization that you created a culture where people did not feel comfortable, if we're to take your words, complaining to you about this? It's ridiculous. Of course, there's, there's no way he could have not known at least something or some of this stuff was amiss. But the reality is Cuban said all the right things, did all the right things, and the other owners knew, like, okay, like, if we're going to be held responsible for what our employees do, even as we know about it, man, there's a lot of us who employ shitty human beings that we kind of like because either they're good at their job or we like them personally or whatever it is. And if you're going to go through everybody's roster and and, and go – like bit by bit, then man, we are opening ourselves up. So you give them all, or this is what you do. You give them punishments that they will accept. And we know that because when you look at Robert Sarver's, um, his, his uh, uh, statement, right? The statement says, I'm embarrassed about this. I apologize for all the people I hurt. And then he says something along the lines of, I don't agree with everything in that report, but, yeah. I, but I accept what the NBA ruling is, which shows you this is not, these are not the words of the remorseful. This is not the words of the contrite. This is someone who's saying, yeah, some of that shit is bullshit, but you know, I'll take the, t- I'll pay the $10 million and I'll sit in the corner. Meaning if we try something harsher, no, 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 fuck out of here now. Hold on, wait a goddamn second. I made a couple of jokes. What are we talking about here? You've never made a joke? Oh, you, so-and-so owner of the San Diego Conquistadors, you've never made a joke? I remember the time you said, like, and that's how it turns, right? It turns into Nino Brown at the end of New Jack City. Talking about, yeah, I'll name names. I'll talk about who and you and what text you sent me and whatever. <laughs> and now we've got ourselves a real scandal. So what do you do? You give him the suspension that he's willing to swallow. And that's what they did. Especially to go back to your point about how everyone knew who Donald Sterling was and what he was. There's been plenty of talk behind the scenes around the league about how and people don't exactly love Robert Sarver either, right? And there's certainly a belief amongst a lot of people that if the NBA and Olympic Tower had everything the way they would want it to be, that maybe so, maybe maybe they would have been able to push Sarver out, being that this is something that they don't want to be. I mean, it's going to be a talking point. And I mean, there's just the way the new cycle works whenever the Suns do well moving forward. Um, whenever, uh, whenever, there's an update in the end of this suspension or what have you, like it will continue to be discussed. I mean, we're talking about the Dallas Mavericks 
little, uh, not little, but it, it was a, a little incident in the overall discourse of the league right now. You know, these things are not little. They continue to bubble up back to the surface as they should. Um, so you would, I mean, there, there's, all this is to say that there's plenty of people and high-ranking people around the league who full-heartedly believe that it is of the league's best intention and want to try to find a way to distance themselves from this man anyhow. And the fact that they have not, I think, is is telling not just for what we've talked about, about the potential risk it puts at the other ownership partners, but particularly Robert Sarver in that he has been described as someone who would even more so than, than others in his potential situation would be motivated to be litigious and to fight this thing to the end. And looking back at the constitution, I mean, this would be, if it even got that far, this would be a lengthy process that would do no favor. I mean, the Sterling thing, if I just recall off the top of my head, I'm sure people listening can remember themselves like that. That was a long, lengthy process that we knew how it was going to end to end once those tapes came out, but it still took a long time. And then they had to find the buyer. It was a very, I mean, it, it was a storyline that distracted from the court, which the league is very open to having the, who players want to play with and who's going to get traded here and all that type of stuff, the off court drama in terms of the transactional side, and maybe even like players beefing and executives, you know, having issues with each other, like the soap opera stuff certainly helps but they don't want attention going too far off the court into this type of area. And I'm looking at it here, like clause a about who could, who could, you know, write and charge us to happen. Then it takes three days for after it being filed before it gets sent out. And then there's another 10 days after that before um, there's an actual meeting or special call amongst all the governors to address it. Then there's another five day period after that. I mean, it just keeps on going up until you get to that three-fourths vote. It, it's it's gonna it would need to take a lot of momentum in order to um, get to that final stage, which is why the conspiracy theory I wanted to bring to you. I mean, that that someone brought to me, and again, I'm not reporting this. Just just two guys talking with many people listening. <laughs> is there is there any thought that maybe this type of reaction the league is actually kind of happy that it happened and 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 silver being a little flummoxed on stage to the overwhelming reaction that they never could have expected might have been what they are hoping will swirl this storm into actually motivating this process to unfold and to get him out the door is that even possible to get who out the door sarver no dude you know what's gonna happen Week week two of the NFL is going to happen. Yep, baseball playoffs are going to happen. The, the, I, I you know I've I've been in communication with a lot of people, friends of mine, former employees, current employees, who are very they're 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 distraught that this was the the NBA reaction. Like that's it. And I said, yeah, I mean, like that's pretty much it. I said, is there anything else that can happen? I said the only way something else happens is if the public uproar continues right the public uproar continues because the league releasing this now 
was the perfect right like on the heels of week one of NFL. Oh yeah. I mean, it's this was a this is a window of time where the news is designed to be swallowed, never to be heard from again. And without that, either a like a continuous everyone's upset and this isn't good enough, or something new that comes to light, like the aforementioned smoking gun of video or audio, or more transgressions that weren't detailed. And I, I I will speak very vaguely on that point. Many people I talked to were upset that not everything that was reported to the law firm was in that report. Not everything that had gone on that they had put their, you know, lives and careers on the line to divulge to these people who were charged with finding out the truth of what happened was included in the report. I don't know why. I don't know what. I'm just telling you that there's more to it than what was in those 43 pages. And so given all of that, I definitely believe that this was something designed to on a very superficial level, say, yep, we did it, we punished him. Because to the average, uh, you know, uh, adult walking on the street, say, oh, they, they fined him $10 million and banned him from being involved in any running of the team from a business or basketball standpoint. He can't even set foot in any NBA facility or office. He can't even go to Olympic Tower. He's banned from all everything. Wow, that sounds really strict. Until you realize $10 million as a function of his net worth, as a function of his annual revenue or his income, is nothing, right? Okay, but Robert is a guy that $10 million still stings him no matter what. All right, put that <laughs> aside, right? So then you say, okay, but he's banned. He can't go to games or whatever. Okay, so he misses a year. All right, but and also he can't be involved in, you know, running the team at all. How do you police that, Jake? Yep, I was going to ask you that. How do I? Know? I don't like well, it. <laughs> I'm, I'm the Phoenix Suns. I got a deal now. I, I, I feel like, man, this isn't working. I need to trade Chris Paul because he's about to fall apart, right? You think that they're gonna handle that whole conversation without talking to Robert at all? They say, oh well, they'll check phone records. Okay. Penny Sarver, Robert's wife. Hey, this is what we're thinking. What do you think, Penny? Oh, I don't know, guys. Give me a second. Let me think about this. <laughs> and walks into the room. Hey, they're thinking about doing this. No, that's a terrible deal. Okay, guys, I've thought about it. I think it's kind of a bad idea. Like, there's there's no way to police any of this, right? There's no way to enforce any of this. And ultimately, I'm not saying that in the sense of like, oh, we need to stop him from being involved for a year. It's just to show how toothless of a penalty this really is. And all of this conspires not to have him evicted, not to have him out of here, but ultimately just for this to go away. Yeah. There's two things you said there that I want to unpack and I wanted to get to. The first is the ownership communication on basketball decision-making being that, I mean, you've you've obviously been inside. I have not. Can you kind of relay to the people here, what exactly is the kind of the standard operating procedure 
you know, let, let's say, I mean, let's just go to the Suns. They've been mentioned repeatedly to me as the team that's in on Bogdan Bogdan or Bojan Bogdanovic, excuse me. So let's say even it's a small trade like that. It's, it's, a, it's a rotational player, a, right. a, a lower level starting caliber player, not um, not Chris Paul. Like what would be the – if there was no suspension, what would be this the standard order of events and how do you foresee that happening um, now if if they are doing it above board, wink, wink, and there's some replacement governor that – Right. Um, that will be in, in that position. Yeah, I mean, if there's an alternate governor and we're doing this above board, it's business as usual. It, James Jones and his staff are out there looking to improve this team any way they can. They get a deal. It's a good deal. They feel like it's a, it's a fair deal and, and it is consistent with their vision of what they're doing with the team. They'll take the deal to, the, to whoever the interim governor is that person here name will go on. It's not unlike what happened with the original Chris Paul deal from New Orleans to the Lakers, where the New Orleans management and the Lakers made an agreement uh, or came to an agreement. New Orleans management went to its interim governor, which just happened to be David Stern, and said, hey, we want to do this deal. And David Stern said, absolutely not, because that's not a good deal the Pelicans long term. It was going to make them kind of like a keep them as a 40 win team or whatever with some mix mix and match pieces. And by the way, while everyone screams conspiracy about that, no one ever screams that was the right choice because the Pelicans ended up being terrible or they traded them to the Clippers. They got picks and they managed to bottom out. And because they bottomed out, they got the number one pick and they got Anthony Davis. So it kind of all worked out for New Orleans the right way because they made the right decision but people tend to think of that decision from a Lakers standpoint. That's what I think is going to happen here. We're going to have someone who is appointed to be interim governor and who's going to be making those decisions. But as far as the coaching staff and the front office, it's business as usual. Is it a phone call? Like, is it attack? Like, is it now zoom face? Like, how do you think that, that, that communication tangibly gets done? With, with with whom? Contacting the owner. The, the contacting the the interim person or contacting or, or are you talking about how, how we skirt the rules and get Robert's opinion on things? No, like let's say everything was happening above board. And, and okay. yeah. Or you know, about, when when the Chris Paul tree came about. I, I would uh, oh man, um you, for what happened with the with the Pelicans it was yeah, it was a phone call because obviously David Stern's not in New Orleans on a day-to-day basis. In this case, it'll be interesting to see who they name to be the interim governor because interim governor is one of the existing alternate governors or, or other you know minority partners, whether it's um, John Najapi or Andrew Koenig or um, Sam Garvin. I believe those are the three uh, who are the next biggest uh, shares in the team. Um. If it's one of them, then it's it's easy. Those guys are local guys. Those guys go to the games too. Those guys. I mean, it's 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 funny. We always talk about so and so is the owner of a team, but in most cases, it's not like a one guy calling all the shots thing, uh, or it's you know, one guy who has like a massive amount. In the case of Robert Sarver, the Suns partnership group is it's a lot of people. It's like maybe ten or twelve, I believe, 
at one point. It may it may have consolidated or grown since then. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is on that list, and there's a lot of people who own stakes of the Sun. Um, Garvin, Najafi, and Koenig are all more sizable chunks than everybody else. In the case of Garvin, I think he was one of the original guys that went in with Robert. Uh, Najafi and Koenig came in later with Cash Infusion, uh, but they're not they're not um, uh, what's the word to the organization to the to the people who work there to you know the state of the team these people have been around so i would imagine although i'm not sure uh that the interim will be one of them and if that's the case then james jones just has a conversation that he's probably already had before with these gentlemen uh, it's just that robert has had the final say as the managing partner yeah it's interesting because one of the more defining moments of my career for me personally in terms of uh kind of like not putting on the table opportunities um i i i will not name the team or the player but i somehow obtained a, a document that the front office had sent to all the minority partners of the team and outlaying what they where they thought things stood for negotiations for this player, um, what they thought the other teams involved were going to were offering now, what they were ultimately going to offer, um, what the offer package escalating in terms of from like their first offer to what their ultimate best offer was going to be. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is just me being a nerd and being too interested in the processes of these things. But I just find it very interesting that throughout the league, you hear people talk about all the time how ownership is arguably, if not even arguably, just objectively the most important factor in terms of winning. And then how you communicate this stuff to them is to me like at least some type of relevant detail being that these guys are often flying around the world and playing golf in Dubai and doing other business deals to prop up the mm-hmm. revenue that they had in order to buy these teams in the first place. So, or in some certain, some circumstances to be able to pay for owning the team. So that's just always been a, a tricky little yeah. thing that I, I've been curious about. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the levels of involvement of ownership also vary. And some guys yes. are just like, you know, Hey man, you guys got it. Like, like I'm like in the case of Mickey Harrison, where he's like, you know, I trust Pat on everything, right? Like, om- like almost full autonomy for Pat Riley. There are times when Mickey will step in, but for the most part, he's like, Pat Riley's doing this. He's done this since '95 or whatever. My son is the president of business ops, Nick Harrison. Or like Mickey Harrison is there to be rich and go to the games and have a drink or whatever in the little private club or whatever. There are some cases, like in the case of uh, um, Jody Allen, the owner of the uh, the Portland Trailblazers, where she's not even around, like not even like not even like this is something that this is her brother's passion, and she's basically being a caretaker for. It, but she's not really like gung ho. What are we doing in the draft this year, right? There are cases like uh, uh, Mrs. Benson, whose name escapes me, uh, down in New Orleans. Where this is like the sideshow, the main event is the is the the Saints, 
And this is this little thing we have going on over here. So she lets uh, Mickey Loomis, who is the president of both the Saints and the, uh, the, the Pelicans, to handle all that stuff. Then there are cases like uh, um, Jim Dolan, like uh, Vivek, like uh, Lakeup, Joe Lakeup, like Robert Sarver, like Mark Cuban, like uh, Jeannie Buss, where they're, I'm here. On the ground, I'm involved. You run everything by me. I listen. That I mean, like I'll I'll defer to whoever I have in charge at various levels, mind you. Uh, you know, those things. But for the most part, they're very involved with all the stuff. We're gonna trade somebody. I want to be involved in that conversation. You need to explain to me why. We're tra- okay, that sounds like a good explanation. Let's do it. No, I don't think so. Let's not do it. So it's a spectrum from team to team on the level of involvement. And so those conversations vary. Like you said, like for some people, yeah, I got to get in touch with my owner. He's on a, in a yacht in the Mediterranean right now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead or whatever. And in other <laughs> cases, the owner is sitting there in, intimately involved in the discussion in that war room. So the other thing I wanted to ask, and then we'll get to... One of our favorite callers, Charlie Saturday. I mean, yeah, you worked in the franchise for what, five, six years? You obviously worked, have a lot of. Yeah, fr- yeah, yeah you always have a lot of. 2012. Yeah, you have, obviously have a lot of friends that you've probably maintained contact with throughout this. You mentioned it earlier. What is your thoughts on this as someone who worked there? And what can we say? I mean, obviously, it's been brought to the public already, but what can you say about just the general sense you've gotten on what people's reactions have been, where they think this will go moving forward? Because like there will be a day where he comes back, right? And things will kind of just proceed as normal, as if the suspension didn't happen. Yeah. So well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor. So I, I honestly, because I've heard the song and dance of oh they've changed and stuff quite several times, not because of scandal but because of smaller things that weren't really public, and they never changes. So I don't have a whole lot of confidence that Robert's going to come back. Medi haven't meditated and really thought about his life over the last over the course of the next twelve months. As I said earlier, you read a statement. That's not the statement of someone who's a whoa. Like, I've been living my life in a really reckless way. That's like, ah, yeah, some of that stuff, some of that stuff. You guys are going out you know, overboard. Even though every or almost every account in there is corroborated by several people. Every single one of those things. Or corroborated by a paper trail. For instance, um, what, they don't say the name Earl Watson, but we know it's the Earl Watson incident. Yeah. Where he's instructed to fire Rich Paul as an agent and that Earl Watson felt like it was racially motivated. And Robert claimed in the investigation that not only was it not racially motivated, but he never said anything about that at the time. He was just upset that he had to uh, fire his agent because of a conflict of interest or whatever. And they went back and they found contemporaneous emails at the time where yes, (laughs) um, Earl Watson is saying, I think this has racial undertones to it. So it's just like, it's things like that. It's like, yo, you're denying things, bro, that have been proven over and over again. And if he's going to be 
if he's going to be yes butting the the report, hey, it says you did this. Yes, but you know, if you're going to do that, again, that is not the sign of someone who has contrition. And this isn't something he said prior to being levied. It's not like the, the the report came out and he said, "Yeah, I saw the report. Yeah, I, I I'm embarrassed by this, but you know, there's some things I disagree." And then this suspension comes down, and he's like, "Oh man, I really have to think about what I've done with this." This is what he says after he's been punished. So he knows what the punishment is. He's accepted the punishment. We really think 12 months from now, he's going to be that changed and moved by that punishment? I don't think so. So, but you asked me about how, how I feel. You know, reading the report, like I said, there are stories in there that I knew. Right? I know that happened. I remember when that, I wasn't there, but I remember when that happened. I remember being told this happened, etc. There are stories in there that I didn't know. I was like, wow, that happened? I had no idea. And then there were stories in there like, yeah, I was there for that. And that's not how it went down. So even in this, I, I, I'm reading this all to the grain of salt because I'm like, if you got this wrong, something that I was present eyewitness for, that's not how it happened, the way they're describing it. They got that wrong. Then how am I to trust the, the people tasked with finding the truth actually documented it the way it happened? It's a, it's a fair question. Um, I mean, there's got to, there, there's stories about, <clears throat> excuse me, there's stories about every, every team and every franchise, right? About uh, this GM did this and this exec did that, but they're never like along these lines. I, I, I just, I've just been struck and continue to be struck after listening to you that there's just such a, a plethora of anecdotes about this type of behavior from him. Because the other stories I'm talking about are about are other transgressions, but they're nothing like this. And and with this abundance that it's just kind of crazy that it's all out there in paper and really nothing's gonna change. Yeah. It's I mean and again, like like you said, it's there's there's a sadness there, but also, you know, it could be callous, but like Hello, welcome to America. Yeah. <laughs> being rich really helps out a lot. Rich being judged by a club of other rich people. Not, he's not being judged by us. He's not being held accountable by us. He's not being held accountable by millionaires. You think about it. He's being held accountable by other billionaires. And billionaires are no one thing that they think all of them, no matter how cool they are, all think they're different from us. They all walk around with that belief that there's a difference between me and you. You know how I know? I have a billion dollars and you don't. And, it, <laughs> and if they, they inherited it, then you have the entitlement of inheritance. This is the only life I've ever known. And I've always lived being treated like I was different from others, right? That's a hard one to overcome. They didn't inherit it. If they made it with their own two hands, sometimes that's even worse. I made, I made a billion dollars. There's something there's between me and you. You're Vivex, you're Mark Cubans, you're Joe Lacob. All these people are saying, look, I started with like 10 cents and a shoelace. I made a billion dollars. Well, you're just lazy. That's why you, 
you haven't made a bill or you haven't been as successful as I am. Which is why, by the way, so many owners struggle with the concept of what do you mean the player doesn't want to play or he doesn't want to play here anymore. Because A, they're having to hear the word no, which they're not used to. But B, they're learning that all the money in the world offers them zero leverage when a superstar says, get me out of here. That is, to them, incomprehensible. It would make way more sense if someone richer than them was the cause of their discomfort. But no, it's this guy who is worth a fraction of a percent of what I'm worth. How could this be? So yeah, man. Like the uh, people, the, the 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 craziest thing is that what Adam Silver said was not a lie. Nor do I think was it his preference. It was just a statement of reality. That they are held to a different standard than the rest of us. Yeah. And the last person who can actually make a change in that regard is the man who's employed by these people he's being asked to hold accountable. Yeah. It's uh, uh, that type of behavior that you were just describing is what leads us to Comic Sans letters. Um, yeah, there you go. And it leads, it's led us to this show and it's brought Charlie Saturday into the call queue. Charlie, how we doing, man? Good fellas, I am curious um, who amongst that billionaire owners club that you talk about, I mean, who are Sarver's biggest allies? Like, are they a singular united front or is there a segment of any of them that would be like, look, man, we don't want to be in business with somebody who makes the rest of us look bad and is saying racist stuff and pulling people's pants down. Like, would, would there be any owners that would say he's bad for business, let's get him out? Or would they be you know, so scared of the potential skeletons that you, you know, mentioned might be unearthed uh, should he be taken down. Yeah, Charlie, I think it's the latter. I think it's not like they're allies. Like, no, Robert's my guy. He's cool. It's just kind of like, we don't want to go down this path because that's a dangerous path here. I think we can survive this. They don't, I don't think there's any love lost between the the other owners and Robert for the most part. I think it's just a case of, again, whatever separation they see between themselves and him is not close to the separation they see between all of them and the rest of us. It's kind of like um, Texas and Oklahoma, right, are big rivals, right, and, and all sorts of things, right? And so Oklahoma and Texas are like, I don't like you. You don't like me, whatever. But I guarantee if it's Texas and Oklahoma versus Mexico, like Oklahoma's like, all right, Texas, we got your back. That's the divide they look at. They look at that divide of whatever it is between us is kind of like state lines. But between all of us, the rest of them, the employees, the fans, there's a Rio Grande and a wall being built right there. We're definitely not like them. And so if it's between you and them, we'll side with you until until what happens? Until they climb over the wall and then and then and it's like, oh, take him. Which is what happened to Sterling. They knew everything about Donald Sterling. Not hush hush behind closed doors. It was not an open secret. It was just open. He had a track record of extraordinary racism that was documented in court. 
housing discrimination uh, law. Oh, yeah. And all, he had, like, it, and it went on for decades. We're talking about from the 70s all the way to 2012 or 14 or whenever all that 14, when, when all that stuff popped off. A tape is what made them gotta get this guy out of here. A tape. Not, oh, man, I don't like this guy. Oh, he's a bad dude or he's bad for bit. No, a tape. Because people heard it and people went crazy. And players talked about not playing. And that's what made them gun up their ass. They get him out of here, Adam, because he's bad for business now. But he yeah. wasn't bad for business in February of 2014. Yeah, that, the last thing I wanted to touch on, and just from just from a sheer just from a sheer story standpoint, it is pretty remarkable that Chris Paul was essentially the leader of the Clippers at the time of the Dallas Sterling situation, and now he's right back in in the the heart of this uh, development here in Phoenix. And his statement last night, I was. Uh, a little surprised that it came so quickly. Um, I, and I am wondering if it will be the last that we hear from him because you know, obviously the union involvement on his resume and the Sterling stuff in his rear view. I mean, what what could – this is the, the really the last thing I, I thought to ask you. I mean, what could we see from players here moving forward, especially a team with Chris Paul on it, that could well, – do anything, or I could just move this thing into another direction. Right. I, I, I kind of, I got a little, I don't want to say hot water, but I got a kind of a negative reaction from people because today on the Levitard show, I said I thought Chris Paul could have said more. I thought his statement felt very removed and um, antiseptic that had he said it, as Chris Paul, the player for the Rockets or the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Clippers or the or the Pelicans, I would have understood. But you're not. You play for this team. You play for this guy's team. And you are the one who's been in this situation before in 2014 uh, with the Clippers. I thought his statement was very kind of like, yeah, this is very bad and I'm very disappointed. Like, that's it? So, and obviously LeBron said what he said. And LeBron has that kind of responsibility as being the face of the league. He's got to weigh in on these things. He's weighed in on these things in the past. But if the extent of their discontent is a couple of tweets on the day, yeah. like I said, NFL week two and the, and the baseball playoff stretch will all but obliterate this story. It, the, what it, what needs to happen is people need to be continuously outraged. I think that starts, and again, I'm not putting the onus on anyone to do this, but if you guys are asking how does change happen, change happens when people don't say, don't shrug their shoulders and say, well, I did what I did, and that's it, right? So I don't know if, if it's players deciding they're not going to report to camp, which opens in a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't know if it's players saying they're not going to play in games. I don't know if it's literally people protesting outside the arena. Can I tell you something else, Dave, that, that complicates this matter? If this incident and investigation and all this happened two years ago, the city of Phoenix, the people of Phoenix, would have been pitchforks and torches outside the arena every day. 
because the team wasn't good for a decade, <laughs> and they blamed him for it. Which, yeah. of course, it is his fault. The team being good now, like championship contending good, man, it it, it, it puts some leg weights on that thing. Like, uh, like, oh man, Robert's awful. Also, when do when are we playing, guys? When does the season start? Because the team's good. I bet you if you poll people in the city of Phoenix, if it took the players boycotting games and ultimately missing playoffs as a result to get Robert out, I wonder what those results would look like. I don't think it would be like 99% yes. And he's like, oh, but the Suns are good. I don't want to mess up the happiness. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, this doesn't affect them, really. It's embarrassing. Our, our, our team is owned by the, the embarrassment. But it doesn't affect fans. I don't give a shit about uh, a, a marketing coordinator or or, or a, a PR um, runner or or an assistant coach. They don't care about these people. Most of them don't even know these people. They could have named everybody in that report. They wouldn't even who's that. I don't know. Hell, they could have named me. They do know who I am. They they wouldn't care because. None of us, they don't see us as integral to their happiness. That's Devin Booker, that's Chris Paul, that's DeAndre Ayton, that's Monty Williams, that's James jo- That Those people, yeah. As long as they're good, what happens to anybody else? Yeah, if, if that is not the latest example of, of winning, curing all ills in the NBA, I do not know what is. Um. All right, man. That's all I really had for you. Any anything else you want to add? Anything you want to say? Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to ask me? All fair game. Um. Uh, well, let me start with the plug because that's easiest. Basketball Illuminati <laughs> came out this week. We had Matt Sullivan on to talk about his cover story about Steph Curry. Um, and uh, and then we also obviously talked about. Uh, the Sarver situation. Uh, also, Cinephobe, that's the podcast with Zach Harper and I watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes, try to ascertain whether they are accurately poorly rated or if they didn't get a fair shake. Uh, we have a new episode, new episode to drop today. It's a glossary episode. So for people who listen to Cinephobe or are new to Cinephobe, and they know we make a lot of references and a lot of jokes that aren't really explained, and you're wondering, where, what does that mean? Or even if you know, get what the joke meant, but you're wondering what the origin was, we dropped a glossary episode that explains <laughs> a lot of those things, so you can go back and like, oh, not only do we explain the jokes, but we also say this is the first episode in, and, and we have a bunch of clips in there as well. So check those out. Um, as far as questions for you, um, you don't have to. It's just I'm just. It's no, only fair. I asked you a I, ton. I, I I do have I do have a question with regard to what what role, if any, do you think the media plays in this? Yeah, I mean, I felt like it was some form of my responsibility to to discuss the topic, you know. So, um, and I think ultimately. I personally view my job as, um, I mean, you guys put it on your show as being a truth teller, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I really do think I work on behalf of the fans. 
there's obviously relationships that you need to keep in mind with team people and agents and players and the league office. Um, but I do think, and I have found that people on that side of the business uh, respond pretty well and professionally to when you are just going about the job in an earnest way, trying to do honest, thoughtful work and particularly reporting about things that are and should be of interest to the public if they knew that the things were happening, right? And this is one of those situations where you know, Baxter Holmes first brought this to light, which you know I'd heard some rumblings, right? Like I had said it out, we've heard things about other organizations, um, but it's hard to corroborate a lot of them a lot of the time. And shout out to Baxter for that deep quality of work. But I think the media's role moving forward is to continue to cover it as it unfolds, right? Where, you know, to me, like it's, that, that doesn't just mean reacting. That means proactively asking players, maybe not in that media day role, but maybe behind the scenes, like, what are you going to do? Is this the end of it? And, try to see what the overall oxygen of the situation is rather than just having it be this first talking point um, and the first reaction and the first slew of commentary. Um, and then we just kind of slap our hands. Like you said, week two comes up, baseball playoffs, and we all move on. I don't think it's our job to like drive it forward if, if the people involved aren't, but the people involved can can be – the league office, it can be Phoenix players. It can be those people protesting outside the stadium, like you mentioned. Um, so I, I think it's just the, the, the activeness of asking the questions. And may, again, maybe not necessarily on a, on a press conference stage um, that is more of a, a level playing field to have a beneficial conversation. I think that's, that's the role. That's my, that's my answer. Uh, you reminded me of something, but in in that, because um, Zach Harper tweeted this a couple of days ago. Because I have now, I have both statements in front of me. The statement that Robert Sarver came out with yesterday was: "Good leadership requires accountability for the Suns and Mercury organizations." That begins with me. While I disagree with some of the particulars of the NBA report. <laughs> I'd like to apologize for my words and actions that offended our employees. I take full responsibility for what I've done. Doesn't sound like it. I'm sorry for causing this pain, and these errors in judgment are not consistent with my personal philosophy or my values. That also doesn't sound like it. I accept the consequences of the NBA's decision. This moment is an opportunity for me to demonstrate a capacity to learn and grow as we continue to build a working culture where every employee feels comfortable and valued. I'm extraordinarily proud of the Suns and Mercury organizations and the record we have. Da -da 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 -da. Okay, so let me ask you a question real quick. <laughs> Would you, when you compare the 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 forty three page report with Baxter Holmes's story, do you feel? Give me a percentage. How much of it is congruent? Like that Baxter Ooh. got pretty much right. I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know a number, but I will say that I was struck by how much of it read almost identically. Right. Aside from the differences of uh, withholding Earl Watson's name type stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was right. a lot it was of it, pretty... a lot of it, a lot of it I'd read before. It's safe to say 
Baxter was pretty spot on. Was he 100% accurate on everything? No, but it's safe to say the majority of what he wrote was pretty spot on, correct? Yeah. All right, so this is what the interesting part of what Zach tweeted. He also tweeted the original statement from Robert Sarver when Baxter's ah. story came out. Listen to this. I continue to be shocked by the false reporting from Baxter Holmes. While there is so much that is inaccurate and misleading in this story that I hardly know where to begin with, let me be clear. The N-word is not part of my vocabulary. I have never called anyone or any group of people the N-word or referred to anyone or any group of people by that word, either verbally or in writing. I don't use that word. It is abhorrent and ugly and denigrating and against everything I believe in. The way I lead my personal and professional life makes that clear. Instead of reporting the truth, Holmes' story is based on misrepresentations from former Suns coach Earl Watson and other unnamed sources. Mr. Watson created an unprofessional and toxic atmosphere in our organization. He's clearly not a credible source. Despite hearing from witness after witness and stories, Mr. Holmes completely disregarded the truth here. Now we are in the position of trying to disprove the things that did not happen. At this point, I would entirely welcome an impartial NBA investigation, which may prove our only outlet for clearing my name and the reputation of the organization of which I'm so very proud. Wow. Jake, if if I walked into court and I was accused of a building, right? Breaking Breaking windows and spray painting the building. And when asked about it, I said, absolutely not. I never did that. I was not even near the building. This guy is using this testimony of the person who owned the building who is nothing but a liar. We all know he's a liar. He's so full of offensive that I would even be accused of something like this. I've never done anything like this. And then in court, in trial, as I pled innocent, they bring the TV on wheels and they play the tape. And it's me breaking the glass of the window, spray painting it, turning and looking at the camera <laughs> saying, who would imagine me, Amino Hassan, just a regular old guy breaking windows and spray painting everything. I've never felt more alive in my life. <laughs> Do you think that would sentence me to the plea bargain deal that was offered to me before the trial? No. Or would they throw the book at me? Think the latter. Being so clearly, not only not only am I not contrite, I downright lied and pointed fingers at everybody. All of you guys are full of shit. I never did any of it and never come close. Think of, by the way, and, and this is the last thought. Think <laughs> of how deluded you have to be about the people who work for you. For you to be who you are and be able to come out with that statement, thinking, no one's going to deny it. No one's going to cross me. Well, there was a slew of defensive statements from James Jones and Monty Williams and others. Um, Fuck, I got to get back on air. I just yeah. talked about this. I, I know, I mean, like, because uh, I, I, I forgot all about that. I forgot yeah. about all that. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, uh, that this is a whole other angle that we got to 90 or 65 minutes in. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Go back on air and unspool all this someone else. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate the time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, we will we'll be, we'll be back on Friday. Tomorrow, 
at three Eastern with Lakers guard Austin Reeves about much happier subject matters. <laughs> um, I mean, thanks again, man. Appreciate it. No, no problem. Thanks for having me, Jake. Take care, everybody.